this last week in preparation for this homily. <clears throat> what happens too, just so you know how I prepare homilies, is the Sunday before I read the next Sunday's readings, and I start then a whole week in advance, beginning to sort of matriculate in my mind, and then on Saturday I start writing out an outline kind of thing. All week long that kept coming back in my mind was preach on confession, preach on confession. I kept saying, why am I, why am I preaching on confession? <clears throat> One is we've got a penance service this coming week. But I don't know, the Lord just kept putting it on me. And so I guess maybe there's somebody out there who needs to hear this. And maybe it's just one person, or maybe it's a couple or a few hundred of you need to hear this. But this sacrament of confession, it's amazing. <clears throat> Today, now, for the second Sunday in a row, we hear about John the Baptist. Next Sunday, we're going to hear about the angel Gabriel coming to the Blessed Virgin Mary, informing her of the incarnation of the Word of God taking flesh in her womb. That will be next Sunday. So, but here's the thing, is that John the Baptist, as I said last Sunday, is in the river Jordan, and he's telling everyone the Messiah is coming, and he's doing a baptism. And the baptism he's doing is a baptism of repentance. So it's not the same baptism that we have. The baptism that Jesus institutes with the seven sacraments is a baptism of initiation. One enters into Jesus Christ, into his mystical body, the church, and is granted the possibility of salvation. The baptism that John's doing is just purely symbolic of washing away your sins, symbolically doing that. The sins aren't actually going anywhere. All the people that he's dunking in the, in the river Jordan, they rise from the waters and their sins are still there. He can't get rid of it. The only way to get rid of sins <clears throat> is through baptism. In the moment of baptism, all sin is immediately erased. And then we proceed to start sinning again. After baptism, the only other way to get rid of mortal sin is through the sacrament of confession. And that's a superpower, right? I mean, Superman can fly around and, I don't know, superheroes can see through walls and, and do all kinds of neat little things and all that. They can't take away sin. They can't save a soul from damnation. They can't get anyone into heaven. They can beat up a bad guy, but that's about it. And honestly, in eternity, that's not a big deal. But what is a big deal is that, wow, the ability to get rid of sins. And Jesus even says that when they lowered the paralytic man through the roof. He was paralyzed, and Jesus says to them, what's the bigger miracle? Taking away this man's paralysis or removing his sins? And they're incredulous with him, and they say, well, removing the sins. Uh, the miracle, that would be one thing, but that's a physical thing. Removing sins, only God can do that. And then Jesus proceeds to heal the man of his paralysis and remove his sins. And the removing the sins is super scandalous for the Pharisees. They're like, who do you think you are, God? Jesus is like, yep, that's right. I'm the eternal word of God who took flesh in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And here I am standing before you. So all this gets back to why, why am I talking about this now? And why is John the Baptist talking about repentance two Sundays in a row? And the answer is because we're going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet God. That's the answer. And when we're going to meet God, we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready for that for our own sake. We don't want to stand before God unprepared, right? But the other is too for His sake. We want to be prepared for His sake. When a guest shows up at the house and the house is a total wreck, we don't want to let them in the house, do we? We want to clean up the house before we let them in the house, kind of thing. 
because we're embarrassed for ourselves, right? But at the same time, we don't want to have them see that horrible pile of dishes in the kitchen sink that's just sort of spilled over it. And da da da. You know how guys, you know, living alone. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. Living alone for the last 19 years. I, and this is very rare, very rare, very rare. Sometimes don't do the dishes for a while until finally I'm having cold cereal out of a flour vase. And it's like, it's time to do dishes. Time to do dishes. Like, all right. I don't want anyone to come over and see that kitchen. I don't want them to see that kitchen. I don't want them to see that kitchen because then they feel really like, what am I doing here? I'm, I, you know, I don't belong here, that kind of thing. I want Jesus to know that he belongs in my life. So I, I need to prepare myself for him. And the way in which I do that, of course, is through you know, a daily life of prayer, which is to say an ongoing relationship, but also confessing my sins. And I need to do that over and over and over again. And the saints would do it over and over and over again. The saints would go to confession once a month or more frequently. John Paul II right there and Teresa of Calcutta went to confession every week. I try, I try to go every week myself. I'm not in their league, not even close. But it begs the question, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? Why do people make excuses about that? Protestant Christians don't have confession. They've rejected it. They've rejected five of the seven sacraments. Their mortal sins cling to them until death. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, no ability to get rid of their sins. They die in serious sin. That's a sadness. And so do Catholics, because in their arrogance, they refuse to go to confession. They might even roll the dice and hope that, well, maybe before I die, there will be a priest who can absolve me, sort of thing. And sometimes they're lucky, and there is a priest who can make it, and sometimes they're not. So I'm going to go through some very quick, very cursory objections that people have to going to confession and debunk them. I'm so sinful, God can't forgive me. No, I'm just... That's pride. That itself is a vice of a sin. I'm so sinful, God can't... You telling me that God is not big enough for you? He's infinite. We're finite little ants. We're less than ants. We're the DNA in ants. Compared to God's infinity, we can murder a million babies... And still go to heaven if you say, Jesus Christ, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me to a priest. And he absolves you. You're going to make it to heaven now. Purgation and all the rest, the restitution for that, yes. But you're going to make it to the beatific vision one day. There's no sin or piles of sins that God's infinite mercy can't overcome with a simple repentance. But we hold on because there's some sort of power there. Which gets me to this. And that I need to kind of preface this whole thing. Why are we afraid of confessing our sins? Why is it that little children, you say, now you go say you're sorry to your sister. And the little three-year-old's like, mm-hmm. can't do it. No. Can't do it. Can't say I'm sorry. No. What is that? What is that? It's a fear of death. It's a fear of, if I confess that I did it, that I'm wrong, I will die. I will be damned. 
We know that because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had sinned, they ate of the forbidden tree. And then what do they do? They hid from God. They hid from God. Why did they hide from God? Because God said, if you touch that tree, I will kill you. So they're afraid that if God finds them, he'll kill them. And so it's in our DNA. It's in our DNA to run from guilt. To deny guilt instead of owning it. Instead of saying, I did it. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And I'll perform some act of restitution. That's grown up. That's what adults do. That's what they should do. That's what good Christians should be doing. Bad Christians say, I didn't do it. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I can't say I'm sorry. It's too hard for me. That's super sinful and selfish in itself. My sins are not so bad. It's the same stuff that everyone does. It's just normal stuff. I mean, I'm not going to go waste my time and confess my sins for the same stuff that everybody does. What's the point in doing that? Salvation. What's the point of going to, to confession? I'll just keep sinning anyway. It doesn't do me any good. I find that every time I go, I just keep repeating myself, so I'm going to just stop going. All right, all right. See how that works at death and judgment, standing before the Lord. I didn't, I didn't say I'm sorry anymore, Lord. Although I kept offending you over and over, I stopped saying I'm sorry because I didn't want to anymore. It didn't do me any good. I didn't see it at the time. Number four, I don't need to go to a priest. I'll just go straight to God. Says who? God doesn't say that in the Bible. Says in James, uh, of the priests, confess your sins to the priests and the priests will forgive them. If you have committed any sins, he'll forgive them. He breathes on the apostles uh, at Pentecost. Where the Holy Spirit comes upon them and he breathes upon them and he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are can retain. It's to these priests that he's given it. And these priests, remember, Judas betrayed Jesus unto his death. Peter, our first pope, said, I don't even know who the man is, etc. It has nothing to do with how holy and good the priests are. It's a power that's been given to them. But if we think, well, I'll just go straight to God. Says who? The Bible, does the Bible say that? God will take away your sins if you just go straight to him. He does appreciate hearing all the time that we're sorry for our sins. But to remove them, that's a supernatural power that requires a priest. So go to a priest. And the last one, I'll go to confession to be absolved, but I don't intend to change. I'll just go be absolved and then I'll keep supporting evil causes. I'll keep thinking evil things. I won't refrain. I fully intend to keep doing these things. Actually, the confession in that case can be invalid. The person has to confess all of their known mortal sins at that time. They have to be truly repentant. In other words, they can't be going, but I don't really care. They need to care. And then then there needs to be some purpose of amendment of life that I honestly try not to do this again. I know it's an addiction. Chances are excellent that I will do it again, but I will honestly try not to do it again. There has to be those things. And what, what do we get? Yes, salvation at the end of our life, but God's grace in this life too. Remember that in all of the sacraments, from baptism to the last rites, There is the supernatural grace of God in abundance. More grace than we can get praying on our own or even praying in a crowd is 
the sacraments. And I liken it to having a house, and you're a house, and you've got windows and you've got doors. And you can open up those windows and doors to let in the light, to let in fresh air, to let God in, or you can close them. Jesus says, I knock at the door, but he does not say, I open it. He says, I'll knock at the door, but you've got to open it. God's grace is being showered out on the whole human race infinitely. But we're not receiving it infinitely. Because grace builds on nature. And our nature is, I'm going to be a sinner and I'm not going to confess. So I'm not going to receive your grace. So the more we go to confession, and we get used to that, get used to that sacrament. The more we keep opening up our windows and our doors to our spiritual house, letting in the light. And our gospel actually begins with that whole thing about light here. Uh, a man named John was sent from God. He came from testimony to testify to the light. Living in darkness, the darkness of our sins is no way to live. Open the windows, open the doors. Let in his light, let in fresh air. Open the door for Jesus. He's knocking there. Go to confession. Go to confession. Do it for you. And do it for Jesus, who loves you terrifically. All right. Kind of an administrative thing. Just to remind you, we've got confessions here Fridays from 4 to 5.15. Actually, Father Martin's always here at 3.30. But 4 to 5.15. And uh, Saturdays, 2.30 to 4.15. And then Sunday, 7.45 to 8.15 and 11 to, or before the 11 o'clock mass, 10 to 10.45. That's all on the front cover of the bulletin. It's on our website too. And that's year-round. It's very generous of the priest to do that. And the other is to, that this coming Thursday, we'll have our Advent penance service. It's 6 o'clock this Thursday. There'll be eight priests in this building, eight priests to hear confessions priests in different corners, different lines, etc. It's Lollapalooza Confessions. Just come, get in the line, and knock it out. Lastly, this. In your pews, I've had those How to Go to Confession guides put in there. If you've never read through one of those, you need to do that. Those have got an excellent examination of conscience guide in there. Take one home. There's one for 13 and above and one for 12 and under. Take one home. Just mark it up. And when you go to confession, bring it and then just read through your marked sins like a laundry list. It is just truly fantastic. Finally, this too. Uh, try to go to confession monthly. We have to go once a year and failure to do so is a mortal sin. So if you haven't gone in over a year, you're already in mortal sin. But the church has always recommended monthly confessions. And if you get to confession once a month for the rest of your life, it'll be the greatest gift you ever gave yourself. I promise you that. The greatest gift you ever gave yourself would be to go to confession once a month for the rest of your life.